Welcome to Onward in the Faith, a resource for every area of your walk with Christ. My name is Ray Burns, and today I'd like to share with you my best piece of advice that I have for any Christian parent. Now, before we get to the advice itself, I want to quickly share where the advice actually came from as I've been a dad myself and have had to kind of navigate these sometimes crazy and unpredictable waters of raising a kid, or in my case, four of them. And really, this question stems from me having to understand what is our goal as a parent. And why this matters is because how we answer that question is determined by what our worldview is. So the things that we see as important, the things that we see as true, is going to have an impact on what we view as our purpose with these little lives that God has given us. Now, if you sit there yourself and ask yourself, what is your goal as a parent? Some of you may not have an answer. And a lot of times that's because we have these kids and they just kind of exist with us. And there's days where, if we're all honest, it feels like our biggest goal as a parent is simply to survive for the next five hours until bedtime comes along. However, when we really think about our goal then one thing we're going to realize is that what our goal is as parents is going to define the decisions that we make. Because whatever direction we're wanting to move in as a parent is what's going to set the course for how that looks in our lives and in our kids' lives. And so the reason that we really need to think about what our goal is is because we know as followers of Christ that it was God who gave us our kids. They weren't accidents. They weren't mistakes. The sovereign God of the universe saw fit, for whatever reason, to put these kids into our care. And so we need to ask, why us? Why these kids? And as we consider that, ultimately, we want to remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So as we're figuring out our goal we want to say, how am I going to take these lives God has given me and glorify him with them? Not glorify myself, not just try to survive until they're out of the house, but how day by day do I glorify him with them? And of course, God doesn't just leave us hanging. He gives us some guidance in his word on what our goal is as parents. Now, one popular place that people will go to is Proverbs 22.6, which says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, often when we think of this verse, we think of it in terms of just salvation. And if you've ever had a mother whose child has grown and out of the house, sometimes this verse can actually be really heartbreaking because they had their kid in church. They, they, their child professed salvation and belief in Christ and asking him to save them from their sins. But yet they got to college or they got around certain friends and they just walked away. And they can feel like God has failed them because he promised if they put their kid in church, he wouldn't leave it. But really, if we think about kind of how the Proverbs work and that they give kind of bigger life advice and have a bigger picture in mind, then what we're going to really realize about this is that this isn't just a teach your kid good things and they will stick with the good things. This is actually talking about the worldview that we create for our children. Whatever way we train them up in is the way that they're going to go. That's in good things, but also in bad and negative things. And so think about raising a kid like rolling a ball across a flat surface. Whatever direction you push that ball into is the direction that it's going to go. And so practically speaking, everything we teach our kids is sending them in a certain direction. So what we teach them about success and failure, about fear, God, their personal worth, their happiness, and their overall purpose in life, all of that is sending them in one certain direction in their life. And so while, yes, having them in church is important and having devotions and things like that are important, what this proverb is is teaching us and what God wants us to see is not that just doing some good things is what we need to do, but that in every area of our child's life, what we teach them matters. It has an impact. It creates a small ripple that is going to have bigger implications as they grow older. And as a dad myself, I don't want to let us off the hook by saying, well, you know, other people also have an impact on them and we can't control every area of their life. 
And no, we absolutely can't control our kids. We don't want to control our kids because a lot of times by controlling our kids, they don't learn how to go in a proper direction. They just learn how to obey rules. And we've all seen what happens when, you know, someone we grew up with grows up knowing how to toe the line, obey the rules until there are no more rules and they just go completely off the rails. But here's the thing, even with the media or friends or college professors, those things have an influence on them, but we are still responsible because how they take in that information, how they allow those things to influence them is going to be based on what they learned from us, on the direction that we pushed them. And a lot of times, I think as parents, it's easy for us not to teach them how to think critically about those things, how to not engage with the world, and even not exposing them to different ideas or telling them it's okay to doubt your faith, and then teaching them how to handle that doubt. And so with that understanding in mind of our goal is to raise kids who glorify God, who are going to be pushed in a certain direction, my advice that I give any parent that I talk to who, you know, they're, they're a new parent and maybe wanting advice, or even parents who don't ask and I just want to share anyway, is this. Whatever you do with your kids, when you're setting rules, when you're having conversations with them, when you're sitting them down in front of a TV or telling them what they should or shouldn't watch, have this question at the very front of your mind at all times. And that question, my best piece of advice is this. What sort of adult will this create? And that is a critical question because the heart of it gets at our goal, which is to realize that we are creating a child that's going in a certain direction. And the things that we do now is investing in the future version of themselves. And so the direction that they're going to go in their life, even when they're two or three right now, is going to be set by the things that we do. And it's going to have impact for years and decades. And so as I said earlier, Our goal as parents determines our decisions with them. And so when we're thinking about what is our most fundamental goal as kids, how do we how do we live out this purpose of glorifying God and sending our kids off in the proper direction? Well, God gives this very important advice in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses five through seven. So I'm going to read half of it and pause and then we'll hit the other half. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Now pause there. God is giving us a very specific command. He is calling us to holy living. He is calling us to love him. He is calling for us as adults to devote our entire lives to loving and serving the God of the universe. And then he follows it up with this command. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. That is a huge understanding of our role as parents. Because as we see here, when God is calling for Israel, he's telling them, hey, first of all, you need to be right with me. You need to walk the walk and talk the talk. You need to practice what you're preaching. But it's not enough just to be a follower of me and just hope your kids catch it. No, first you need to be focused on me and then you need to focus that on teaching your kids and being purposeful with what you do with them. Because he, he talks here about talking about God and training them when you sit and when you walk and when you lie down and when you rise up. Literally every moment of our day as parents is spent teaching them. Now, sometimes that might be very purposeful where we might actually open up a Bible and talk. Sometimes it's just understanding that getting angry at them is teaching them something. Being patient with them is teaching them something. Asking them for forgiveness when we sin against them is teaching them the things of the Lord. And so as parents, when we understand what Deuteronomy is talking about here, we realize that our goal isn't to just survive another day. It's not to be our kids' friends. Really, our goal as parents isn't even to make them happy. Instead, our goal as parents, as those who love and serve Jesus Christ and want to glorify him most of all, is to train our children to know and understand the things of God so that they can serve Christ well. Just as we want to be those kinds of followers who love God so much and would do anything 
for him, would do anything to serve him and to get more of him. We want to train our children to be able to think and understand that very same idea. And so when we're talking about setting them up to be genuine followers of Christ, I think it's important to talk about what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean taking them to church or hoping that the youth pastor teaches them for the hour or two that he has them every week. It's not about making them have faith. In other words, it's not about us as a parent being their Holy Spirit and convicting them and telling them to get saved. Instead, what it's about is teaching our kids why we believe what we believe so that they can understand why there's value in them believing it as well. Because as parents, we kind of set that pace for their own faith and understanding. And so if we aren't loving God with all our heart and mind, we can't set them on a path to do that same thing. And so back in that Deuteronomy passage again, they're going to catch what they see in us. They're going to grow by what things we genuinely care about. Because as parents, we can say that we love God. We can tell them that church is important and that the Bible is important. But they're going to see day by day and moment by moment what our actions are actually showing about our beliefs and about our passions and about the things that we care about. And so when we realize that and take it seriously, we realize that every moment of our lives as a parent is an opportunity to teach them something. Because everything we do is sending them in one direction or another. And so suddenly everyday things take on a very monumental opportunity because whatever we do with them is teaching them something. Sometimes it's minor things, sometimes it's major things. And as parents, we don't know what's going to stick. And so what's great about this is that because we want to honor Christ, because we want to love God and glorify him in our lives and in how we're raising our children, it requires us to set priorities. And with that, it makes us ask ourselves an important question. Am I doing something that's best for me right now or best for my kids in the future? And again, that removes that idea of just surviving or getting through the day or getting through the moment. And it gives us a proper balance of happiness, both our own happiness as well as theirs. Because as parents, of course, we want them to be happy. We want them to smile and, and you know, give us hugs and, and just all those great kid moments. But if everything we do is focused on their happiness now, there's a very good chance we are causing long-term devastation to the future versions of themselves. And as parents, that needs to be the child that we're focusing on is, yes, love them now. And, you know, obviously, if it's wise, make them happy. But we need to ask ourselves, how is that future version of my child who I love so much being impacted by this decision to distract them with the TV or be around friends who I know are not good for them or to listen to certain music or to have certain goals in life. And so as parents, this has a lot that we need to think about because everything we do, the time we spend with them, the time we spend apart is creating a certain kind of person. The things they do apart from us are impacted by the things they've done with us and learned and have found value in. And so it's important for us to take this seriously because who they become is going to be a result of the worldview that we equipped them with. And this is going to affect so much about how they understand the world. It's going to affect their relationships because as parents, if we teach them that we, these people who are supposed to love them more than anyone else in the world, if we teach them that love is angry or abusive or distant or manipulative or constantly critical, that's what they're going to understand about love in the world. And so the friends that they hang around with, the husband or wife that they take, they're going to find people that show them love the same way that we have taught them love. Their view of God is going to be affected. And as dads, we have a doubly important task here because we as fathers are a very broken and limited view of what God the Father is like. And so we as dads need to be modeling our relationships to our kids the same way that God demonstrates his love to us. 
And if you've ever known anyone who grew up in a church or grew up with an abusive dad or a distant dad, that is exactly how they think of God. They think that God is there ready to blow up at them for the slightest provocation or just isn't even there and doesn't care. Why? Because that is how they understand the term father. And past that, it teaches them how to understand their own salvation. So as parents, if we are constantly telling our kids, they're awesome, you can do no wrong, everything about you is amazing, they're not going to see a need for repentance from their sins. Because why would they? I'm awesome. I'm a good person. And then on the flip side of that, if we teach them that as long as you do what I say, I love you, then we're going to teach them that salvation is based on good actions and, and good works. It doesn't matter why they do it. It doesn't matter if they obey us and do what we say because they know that it's right and they're just taking what we've taught them. But if they are doing it out of fear or just trying to get mom or dad off their back, then as they grow up, they're going to view God that same way in that, well, as long as I just do what's right, I'm good enough. Our kids' self-control is also impacted by us. So if we are constantly telling them yes or not teaching them to deny themselves, then they're going to grow up not knowing how to hear no from somebody else. And so because of that, they're only going to want to surround themselves with people who give them what they want, or they're going to learn to manipulate people to get what they want because they don't understand a world where their desires are not uttermost to other people. And on top of that, they won't know how to say no to themselves because they didn't learn growing up that just because I want something doesn't mean I need that thing. Just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do it. As parents, we teach them that. And then going even bigger, how our kids understand their purpose in life is based on what they learn from us. So if we are the kind of parent where how our kid performs in a sport is how they get praise from us or how they achieve in school, that's going to teach them that their purpose in life is to be thought well of by others, that their value as a person is based on what they can achieve, you know, but going the complete opposite direction. If we just want our kids just to be kids and have fun and they can worry about adult stuff when they're adults, we're going to raise adults that don't know how to be adults. And so their purpose in life is going to be, how can I have the most fun? How can I entertain myself? How can I make me happy? And so because our kids may grow up never having to focus and never having to do the hard work, they're not going to know how to do it as adults because it's not something you magically get on your birthday. It's something that you spend years learning from the people who love you most. And then as Christian parents, we need to realize that how they view church and their role in it is based on what we teach them. So if we just constantly send our kids to youth group and that's where they get the majority of their learning, then they're going to see church as something where they're supposed to be entertained and have fun. And depending on the youth group, they may not even understand that there are deep things about God that we need to think about and consider. Because if they're just getting, you know, lighthearted, fluffy things, or it's all about activities and games, then their understanding of church is going to be, well, church is supposed to be fun. And when they become adults and we tell them, well, it's time to grow up now, they're not going to know how to exist in a setting like that because church to them isn't sitting and taking notes and listening to a good study by a pastor who knows how to read the Bible and preach it and bring glory to Christ and everything he says. That's not going to register to them. And hitting a little close to home, another thing we can teach them about church is that it's only important if there's nothing else going on. You know, we've got sports that might be starting up soon, depending on how this whole quarantine situation plays out. And a lot of Christian parents are going to be stuck with the question of, do I take my kid to baseball or soccer or football practice or whatever, or to take them to games on a Sunday? Do we skip church for this activity? Or do we start this activity at all, knowing that we need to commit our time to it, if that means skipping church? And that sets a very dangerous precedent because if mom and dad don't think I should take this seriously, why should I? It's clearly only important as long as there's nothing else fun going on. And then a dangerous thing that we can teach our kids is to wear a mask to church. And I don't mean a cloth mask to prevent infection, but to be one person at home and another person at church. Because if we as parents are doing that, if we are yelling and cussing at our kids, if we are 
you know, listening to certain kinds of music that clearly doesn't glorify God. If we're doing that stuff six days out of the week and then we clean up, we go to church and we act like a totally different person, they see that, they know that, and that is what they think church is about. And so they're going to grow up saying, I don't want to be fake. I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life pretending. I spent 18 years pretending to be someone I'm not. I don't want to do it anymore. And on and on and on, the examples could go of the different ways that we create certain adults by the decisions we make, the things we do, and the things we don't do today. And before I wrap this up, I want to give some very specific examples from my own life, because... This can be a thing, it can seem overwhelming, and it can be hard even to try to think through it and piece through it, because, man, thinking about every conversation and what adult that creates, thinking about every behavior my kid has, and how that's turning them into a certain kind of person, that that's overwhelming, it's a lot. And it can be, at first. But over time, our minds and our hearts just start changing, because we're just constantly looking at that 18-year-old kid and who they are becoming. And so I just want to give an example of each of my four kids. Now for my two oldest who kind of understand what my ministry is all about, I have gotten their permission to share this. So, you know, I'm not sharing anything super sensitive, but they are aware that I'm putting this out there. So first I want to talk about Emma, my 12 year old. Now, she is our first child. She is smart. She is independent. She is driven to get things done. She just has an awesome personality. And so two years later, when her younger brother came along, the responsibility came to her as the older sibling to kind of teach him and guide him. And, you know, when he's two and three, he doesn't know how to play and interact with her as much. And so she would kind of lead their games and things like that. And... Really, what we saw developing here is really what I think drove me to understanding this question about what kind of adult am I creating? Because what we started noticing as parents is that Emma, while she was sweet and loving and kind, was also learning to be very bossy and controlling of her younger brother. And so when it came time to dealing with it, we started asking ourselves, okay, this is typical older kid behavior. You know, it's very easy to excuse it. Everyone says this is how older kids behave. But we wanted to know what kind of adult are we creating? Who is Emma going to become 10, 20 years from now? And so here are the spiritual and kind of foundational root things that we saw happening in her life. Number one, she saw her desires and ideas as more important than someone else's. She was older and she thought that this was the right thing to do. So she wanted to do it and she would fight anyone who told her otherwise, especially if it was her brother. She learned to manipulate those who were weaker than her or were just willing to trust her because her brother obviously trusted her. She was the older kid. She knew what was going on. And so she was learning to control him and manipulate him in ways to make him think that he loved her ideas so that he would go along with them. And when he wouldn't, then what Emma was also learning is to fight with him instead of cooperate or instead of give up her desires for someone else. Now, thinking even longer term, we were also seeing how she was treating a male who was on her same level. Because obviously, as her dad, she wouldn't treat me like that. And other older adults, she wouldn't treat like that. But here is a, a, a boy who is on her level, and she is learning how to treat boys. And of course, as we're thinking about the future her, we're thinking this is going to impact how she views marriage and how she views a husband and what she sees as ideal in a husband. Because if she's not learning conflict resolution and humility now, why is she going to do it later on? And then on the flip side, we also had to look at what she was teaching my son about how a woman should treat him. Because from his perspective, you know, obviously his sister loved him, but she was very controlling. And so He was going to learn to just kind of be meek and find a woman who would control him because he was used to being told what to do. And ultimately, that would require him to marry a bully. And obviously, as a dad, I don't want any of my kids to marry someone who's going to control them or boss them around or bully them and make their desires more important than the other person's. And so ultimately, we saw that we were creating someone who was dominating and manipulative. 
And that's a hard thing to say because she's my kid and I love her very much, but we needed to be realistic with what we were seeing in her now and how that was going to play out in the future without any kind of intervention. And so in order to combat that, in order to correct the course and to set her in the direction we wanted her to go, we had to take some steps. We had to deal with her pride and teach her humility and above all, teach her why humility was a good thing. Not just so she wouldn't get in trouble, but what God says about humility, what God says about our pride. And as she's gotten older, we've been able to dig deeper and deeper into that to where she has a much more thorough understanding of humility at the age of 12 than she did at the age of like five. We also had to teach her how to communicate. And instead of saying, you know, this is what I want and you need to give it to me. And if you won't, I'm going to yell. We had to teach her how to actually talk through things, reason through things with someone else and come to an understanding. And the big thing that we've really focused on with her is teaching her how to love someone more than herself, because her brother is an excellent way for her to spend every day seeing someone who has weaknesses, seeing someone with faults, seeing someone who doesn't always want to do what she wants to do and learning how to express what she desires, but be willing to accept that someone doesn't have to do what she wants just because she wants it. And so as a mom and dad, that is how my wife and I have been kind of dealing with that situation and making sure that the adult we are creating is going to be a blessing to the world and is going to be a good wife and a good mother and someone who's able to be humble and loving and not manipulative. Now I want to talk about my 10-year-old, Max. Now, in our world, we have access to lots of shows, lots of YouTube videos, and lots of video games. You know, it's very easy to just subscribe to any kind of digital service and just have a whole library of things to watch or things to play. And so as parents, obviously, we did the typical thing of limiting his access to electronics. But as I was watching him, I started noticing something that when he would have his electronics time, he was very, very unfocused in what he would do. So if he would watch a, a show on Netflix or watch YouTube videos, he would very rarely finish what he was watching before bouncing to the next thing. Uh, when he would play video games, we have a kind of, think of Netflix, but with video games. And so he would start up video games and play them for maybe a day, maybe a week, but as soon as that video game got hard or as soon as he got bored, he would just bounce to the next one. And he would do that several times throughout the week, I noticed, as he would have three, four, or five different video games going at any one time, and he would only spend small amounts of time with each one. And eventually, he had just really dozens of games on his phone or on our Xbox where they would just sit unfinished, and he would make no progress in them. And so when I started noticing that, I had to ask myself, what sort of adult will this create? And I realized that my son was not learning how to push through difficulty. If a game would get hard or a game would get kind of hit a boring time, he would just give up on it instead of pushing through. With, you know, his, his shows and YouTube videos, he wasn't learning contentment. He was instead looking for entertainment and mindlessness and something to constantly make him feel something he wanted to feel. And ultimately, I think that was leading to idolatry because he was constantly looking for satisfaction. And the first few minutes of something might bring him satisfaction, but then that would wear off, and so he would go searching for the next new thing. And as adults, we know exactly what that's like because we do that in so many areas of our life where we find something, we think it will satisfy us, it doesn't, and so we drop it and go find the next thing to satisfy us because surely this next thing is going to be the one. But another thing that he was starting to learn and develop was that he had no goals or purpose to his time that he was spending. He was just very mindlessly consuming video games or consuming YouTube videos. There was no goals or desires or things that he was even feeling good about doing. He wasn't learning anything. He wasn't growing. It was just time that he was allowed to have. And so he was mindlessly doing whatever without any real thought to it. Another thing that I noticed is that he wasn't trying to find value in this time he was spending. He just wanted distraction. And so he would watch a lot of these videos on YouTube that are kind of fun, but really serve no real point. It's just 
people talking loud and, you know, doing nonsense. And he wasn't learning. He wasn't growing. He wasn't being equipped to do things himself. He was just mindlessly watching other people live their own lives instead of him living it for himself, instead of him finding something to take away from these videos. And so ultimately, what I saw is that my son was just learning to be a consumer, just to constantly take things in with no real thought or regard for what he was doing. And he wasn't even learning to value it or grow from it or to push through when things got difficult. He wanted distraction and entertainment, and if something wouldn't give it to him, he would abandon it instead of finding contentment in something. And so what we did is we had to set some boundaries to help him focus, to choose things that he cared about, and to value the time that he spent on them. And so what we really did is, especially with his video games, is we told him, okay, Max, you can play, you can have three video games on your plate at any one time. In other words, there are three video games that he has to choose very carefully because that's all he's going to get to play until something happens. Either one, he needs to spend two weeks playing that game diligently to really make a decision that he just doesn't want it, that there's something wrong with it, and that he has a good reason not to finish. Or he has to beat that video game. And so I've seen him beat games that were hard. I've seen him spend days pushing through a difficult part of something, trying to defeat a boss or get past, you know, some challenging bit. But he does it because this is all he has. Either he can try to win or he can do nothing at all and just not get that time with a game. And so I've seen him find a lot of joy in finishing what he starts because he doesn't really have any other choice. And then when it comes to watching, this is a little harder, but it was really about teaching him how to find things that he was interested in and find people on YouTube that were creating content that he actually wanted to watch. And then really the best thing we could uh, set up there is that he just has to finish videos that he starts. And so if he starts a 15-minute video of just someone doing nonsense, he's kind of just stuck watching that. Unless, you know, we have a talk and he gets the green light not to finish it. And, you know, at the age of 10 now, as I was preparing for this podcast, I realized that we don't really have to talk about this stuff anymore. He inherently only has three video games that he's working on at a time. He is, at his basic level, driven to finish these things because he knows that I've started something and I need to finish it. And when I finish it, I can go do something else but he knows that he has to finish. And with the stuff that he watches on YouTube, you know, some of it is 10-year-old stuff, and I don't care for it, but he has a purpose and reason for watching it. And I'll even find him sometimes just spending his electronics time watching videos to help him learn something that he just wants to know about. And I think that's awesome, because as a parent, I want to create an adult who... If they're going to have electronics time, if they're going to play video games, they're finding value and purpose to that time. Now I want to talk about Juliana, who at the time of this recording is about three and a half. So Juliana loves her people and especially daddy. She is a daddy's girl. Oh my goodness. I love it. You know, Emma growing up, she was snuggly and all that. But like I said, she was kind of independent. But Juliana is just like magnetically attracted to my lap. If my lap is open, even if my lap isn't open, she wants to be sitting with me or next to me. She, she always wants to be hanging out with dad. She wants to read books. She wants to play games. She just wants to talk. She wants me to sit and watch her little three-year-old shows that drive me crazy. She just wants to be present with me. And as a dad, I love it. And Kind of because of that, it took me a a little longer to ask a question about what kind of adult I was creating. Because, while that seems awesome, what parent doesn't want to snuggle their child? I started realizing that while it was a good thing that she wanted to spend time with dad, she did not know how to do something apart from someone else. She did not want to be alone in anything that she did. She wouldn't even want to sit on the floor in front of someone and play for a period of time because she was just unequipped to do something on her own. Because with my two oldest kids, 
that just came naturally to them. And so we didn't realize that she hadn't learned that skill. And so we started having to ask ourselves, okay, what kind of adult is this creating if we have a two-year-old who throws a fit if she can't be with someone and doesn't get the time that she wants whenever she wants it? And so this whole snuggling thing and her loving her people and always wanting to be by someone was a very good thing, but it had the potential to go bad. And so as her dad, with me being the one that she was drawn to the most, you know, I needed to see the good in the adult I was creating here because it gave me an opportunity to model what love looks like to her. So she could see that love is gentle and that love shows concern for her and love has affection and that Love involves telling that person regularly, I love you. I also wanted to teach her that when she needs dad, I'm there. I'm, I'm open to her. I'm available to her. And especially if she needs me, I'm going to be there as quick as I can. And then the bigger picture I wanted to teach her was God's love and his openness for his children. Because when we need God, he is there. But because I want to model God, I also wanted to make sure that I was giving my child something that was good instead of giving her something she thought she wanted that could be bad. And so here's where I was starting to see something that I personally loved because, you know, Juliana, she's sweet and she's gentle and she just, she fits so perfectly in my arms when she wants to snuggle. But here's where I was seeing some problems come up is that she was number one, unable to entertain herself or to be independent And so she was becoming dependent on other people. If someone wasn't there to engage with her or entertain her, she had no idea what to do. And then she would get upset and angry and throw a fit if she couldn't have me. And so what kind of adult was I creating in the future? I could see that I was creating someone who would be able to compromise what was right in order to avoid loneliness or being left out. Because the most important thing to her was social engagement and having someone with her. She couldn't stand loneliness. She couldn't stand being independent. And so if that is what I teach her to value in life is that above all else, she needs somebody, then she's going to compromise who she is and what she knows is right in order to find her ultimate purpose in life, which is to be with somebody. I was also realizing that she didn't understand boundaries, that when dad needs to write for his blog or work on a project or just talk to somebody. She needed to understand that just because she wanted me didn't mean that I had to give in to her demands every single time. And then above all, she just needed to accept no, that when dad doesn't want to sit and read a book at that time because I can't, or if I am unable to sit and snuggle or watch her show with her, She needs to just accept that I can't. And so dealing with this was very difficult because I didn't want to push her away, but I also didn't want to continue on a bad path. And so ultimately, the big ways that we've dealt with this so far are to set firm times when I am present near her, but I'm just unavailable. So now she knows that if she sees dad writing on the computer... She can ask to snuggle with me because sometimes I'm not working. But if I tell her, no, I'm working, I'm I'm writing, she understands. And sometimes she'll go get her little keyboard and and write right next to me. Uh, But also if I'm doing projects or doing a hobby that doesn't allow her to be on my lap or for her to be physically with me, she just learns to understand that, that there are things that dad does where she can see me, but that doesn't mean that she can have me as much as she wants in that moment. We've also tried to set her up for independent play. So one thing we realized is that she had a ton of toys and she had no idea how to play with them because there were just so many that she just became overwhelmed with her decisions. And so instead we trimmed down her toys and just tried to find certain ones that she would return to and learn to find value in. And on top of that, we were buying her toys that focused on things that she enjoyed doing. So we know that she likes building and she likes art and she likes using her fine motor skills. So we got things like stacking toys or coloring pages or these little cool magnet shapes where she can build different structures with them. But it wasn't just about teaching her independence. I also wanted her to know that time with people is valuable. And so what I've tried to focus on doing is to invite her in 
to my life without her having to ask. So if I'm sitting there reading a book, I'll ask her if she wants to sit and snuggle me while I read. Or I'll sit and say, Juliana, would you like to read a book? Or I'll offer to do different things with her, you know, to build with her shapes or to color or whatever. Or if she's just sitting there playing independently, I will sit down and go to her and try to take part in her life as well so that she knows that it's not all about her constantly having to ask, but that dad who loves her wants to just spend time with her. And so with that, we've tried to create kind of a balanced adult of someone who loves people and enjoys spending time with people because that's a good thing. But that doesn't become an ultimate thing. It doesn't become something where she is willing to sin if she can't have someone or she is willing to sin in order to get someone. And then finally, really quick, I'll talk about Adelina, my one and a half year old. Now, she was a typical baby and a typical toddler, which meant she fell over a lot. And when she wasn't falling over, she was hitting her head on something. That's just babies for you. And so as a typical kid, as soon as something would happen, as soon as she would stumble or fall or get surprised, she would cry. And most parents, it's easy for us to look at that and think, oh, well, that's whatever. Kids do that. But here's what we know as parents, especially with her being our fourth one. Here's what we saw happening is she would assume she needed to cry simply because something negative happened. So she was scared. She bonked herself. Something wouldn't work right. And she would just break into tears because she was facing adversity and that's how she reacted. She wouldn't stop to examine herself. She wouldn't think about the situation or think about the fact that, hey, something just touched my head. Does this actually hurt or is this just a thing that happened in my life where, you know, I, I, I nudged up against a table or something, but I didn't actually injure myself. And then as parents, of course, we all know what it's like to watch a child think they should cry. And so they do. So she would get hurt or she would stumble and just assume that, oh, well, this happened because I fell. I need to cry. And so what sort of adult was this creating? Well, number one, she was learning to fear pain and to fear adversity, and to fear difficulty. Because as soon as something unideal would happen, she would freak out. She would cry. She was also learning to just react without thinking about a situation. And as parents, we want our kids to think through things. We don't want them to be driven by emotion or driven by impulse, but instead to stop, pause, and think, am I injured? Is this a bad thing? Do I need help? And then, unfortunately, of course, she was learning that, well, if I cry, people pay attention to me and they come get me. And so we were just really creating an adult who was just going to be a big baby. And so our solution is something that sounds monstrous, but has actually been huge in all four of our kids' lives. And that is that, let's say right now I'm watching her or I'm talking to my wife and we realize that she is walking and stumbles over a dog toy and falls to the ground. As soon as we see that, we will say something like, whoa, you fell down. And when she hears that, she hears comfort and joy and happiness in our voice. And so even though her first reaction may be, oh no, I'm scared, I fell, something negative happened, we are breaking that kind of thought process in her mind. And she is saying, well, mom and dad are being positive about this. Is this really that bad? And so what that now allows us as parents to do is we can see when something is actually wrong. Because if she falls and we can tell it's bad, yeah, we're there. We we don't try to break through anything. But also when there's those moments where did this really hurt her? You know, like she's standing under a table and and starts walking and hits her head. Did this really hurt her? is Is this something where we need to go and deal with it? And by reacting in that way, by being positive, by immediately being reassuring and not saying, oh no, are you okay? But instead having reassurance and calmness in our voices, it has taught her to pause and think, is this actually a problem or do I just keep going? And so a lot of times she's very fine and she just goes on about her merry way because she fell down, she bonked her head, whatever, it happens and she keeps it going. And so to really wrap all this up and to just conclude kind of a big topic, I want to say that, you know, parenthood doesn't have a set rule to it. So I gave some examples of my family. I gave some some examples of ways that this impacts kids. But 
what works for me isn't going to work for other families. We have different backgrounds. We have different kids. We have different opportunities to teach things. And so this isn't just a hard and fast, here's what you got to do. But what I hope that I've equipped you with is to realize that our call from God is clear. We as parents, whatever our kids are like, whatever our family situation is like, we are called to train and equip our children. We are called to glorify God by creating adults who know how to serve him, who know why they believe what they believe, who know how to live holy lives that glorify God to where even if they walk away from the faith, even if they grow up and they leave, they still grew up knowing how to think things. They knew why mom and dad believed the Bible. They knew why they did church. They understood all these things about the faith that for some reason they've chosen to walk away from. And while that's got to be a heartbreaking reality, we aren't their Holy Spirit. We aren't their salvation. We can't force them to be Christians any more than we could force ourselves to be Christians. You know, serving God, being a follower of Jesus Christ, isn't just a thing that someone talks you into. It purely comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When we realize our sin, realize our inability to do good, when we see that we cannot please God because we are his enemies in everything we do, and it's the Holy Spirit that makes us realize that, man, I can't do this, but Christ did. He died on the cross, took the punishment for my sin. And that's why we call out to him. That's why we ask him to save us. But we can't just do that for our kids. All we can do is set the pace for them, to teach them why this is worth believing, why they need Jesus Christ. But it may be that it's God's will that ultimately they walk away, that they remain his enemy. And as parents, that's not failure on our part because we are imperfect. But what we can do now is try to equip them. Even if the kids aren't in our home, we can still equip them and grow them and help them understand a worldview simply by talking to them, by explaining certain things about us knowing why we do things and why we believe things and just explaining it to them. And so I want to cap this off with a verse that I hope is encouraging And it's in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six says, do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So parent, mom, dad, grandparent, we can't do this on our own. Raising kids who love God isn't up to our own cleverness because it's easy to listen to this episode and hear this advice and say, well, what kind of adult am I creating? And just be overwhelmed because if every moment of our lives is a teaching opportunity, there's no way we can succeed. We can't in our brokenness and in our sinfulness spend every moment constantly pointing our kids to God perfectly, always saying the perfect things, always making the perfect rules, always letting them do what's right and preventing what's wrong. We just, we don't know. We can't do it. All we can do is submit to God. We seek his will. We go to him in prayer. We pour our hearts out to him and we allow him to transform our minds about how to raise these lives that he's given to us. And so practically speaking, here's the best piece of other advice I can give. So advice number one, again, is with everything you do, ask yourself, what kind of adult am I creating? But when you've made that decision, when you say, well, We need, I want to set up this rule because I want to create an adult who knows how to work hard, or we're not going to watch this TV show or listen to this kind of music because I don't want that to play a part in their worldview or how they understand life. Go through with those rules, but also explain it to your kids because I have tried very hard to make sure that my kids understand absolutely everything that we do or don't do. And I'd like to think that it's successful because as a family, I make a lot of decisions and my wife makes a lot of decisions that go against what other people may do or think. And so when my kids' friends ask them, well, why do you do this? Why can't you do this? They can explain to their friends why that's the case. And hopefully, if pressed, they can explain to them why their parents see value in it. And so whether it's certain words that we don't say or places we don't go, shows that we don't watch or music that we listen to, Hopefully, 
at the end of it all, my kids can grow up and say, I'm thankful that we did this because I know why mom and dad had us do it. Or when they grow up, they could walk away and say, you know, I don't believe in this. I don't think this is right. I don't think this is for me, but I know why dad did it. I know why he said those things. I know what he was trying to do. I don't agree with it, but I get it. And as parents, sometimes that's all we can hope for is for them to say, this isn't for me, but I get it. I understand. I see the logic and the thought behind why my parents did what they did. And so parent listening to this, you want to glorify God. You want to serve Jesus Christ. And above all, you want your kids to do the same. You want them to follow you and hopefully love God more than you ever have. Serve Christ with more power and more passion than you ever have. Please remember, parenthood is not about being perfect. It's about being faithful to our God. So as you turn this podcast off, as I hope you go to God in prayer and really think about this, just keep three things in mind. One, remember your goal. You want to create a mature adult who can serve Christ. Maybe they'll be a lawyer. Maybe they'll be a doctor. Maybe they won't be. Ultimately, as long as they're serving Christ, you know that wherever they end up is where God has for them to end up. Number two, just keep asking yourself, what sort of adult will this create? With whatever rule you have, whatever conversation you have, the next time you're tempted to yell at them or get angry or to kind of cut them down with your words or ignore them, whether it's protecting them from their friends, whatever it is, just keep asking yourself, what adult am I creating? Who is this person going to be if this is what they learn about the world? And then finally, always keep an eye on the future version of this amazing life that God has put under your care. They know you love them, and you know you love them. You're going to make mistakes. But whatever you do, just remember that who they become is going to be a result of how we've taught them to live and how we've taught them to think and how we've taught them to understand the world that they live in. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. I hope that if you're a parent or you have kids under your care, that this has encouraged but also equipped you to love and serve them more by being able to love and serve God more clearly and with a better goal in mind. If you found this episode valuable or if you just enjoy this podcast in general, I would ask you to become a monthly donor and give as little as $1 every month to support this ministry. The link will be down in the description, but you can visit me at patreon.com slash onward in the faith and give as much as you feel led to give. Down in the show notes, I will also link a blog article that I've written about this very topic if you would like to see it written out a little bit differently. Now, keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.